Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. Pastor Joel is continuing our study in the book of Ephesians. He's in Ephesians chapter 3 with the message, One Purpose. We are going to continue on our series in the book of Ephesians. We'll be in Ephesians 3 uh, today. Um, and if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you to stand as I'm just going to read the first six verses. Ephesians 3 and the first six verses. Ephesians 3, verse 1 says this, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Which was, not, not, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to, this holy, uh, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We'll stop right there. Let's, let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word this morning uh, with... Uh, summer activities on our minds and plans for the future and a full day and uh, things to get done, would you just quiet our spirits this morning for the next few minutes? Would you speak to us? Would all the voices that are in this world that uh, grab our attention, would, would you quiet those so that we could hear your voice this morning? Lord, would you put blinders on our eyes so that we could see what you would have for each person here this morning? And Lord, would you um, touch our hearts in such a way that we leave here different? Maybe knowing something more, maybe not, but that our hearts would be changed by the power of the Spirit and through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, Just like... Most sermons, I want to set this message up by uh, sharing uh, a, a story that really impacted me uh, just like seven months ago. My parents moved from Charleston, South Carolina, uh, where they lived for a long time. They moved to a city called Rock Hill, South Carolina, which is about two hours north, just on the border of North, North Carolina. So we were able to go back there for Christmas, uh, my whole family, and spent almost two weeks there and exploring all these just quaint southern towns. Have you ever been to the south in those little towns. They're all brick, and they're much older than they are out here in the West. And so we got to explore uh, Rock Hill, a little town. We were walking through uh, the center of of town, and we ran into something that I wasn't expecting uh, to see there. Uh, It was a historical marker right about the midway through uh, this town block, and it sat right next to this uh, cafe. Um, Right next to this cafe, they had changed this hallway into be like this kind of this makeshift uh, museum. And the little plaque said this was in recognition of something that had happened there uh, 62 years ago in 1961. Uh, On the top of it, it was titled the Friendship Nine, Friendship Nine. Uh, And so 
curious as I am when we're traveling like that, uh, read about it, and it opened up a whole new world. So I want you to picture the scene uh, with me uh, in, in Rock Hill, South Carolina in 1961. There, there's a diner in the middle of town uh, that had this long counter that lots of people would come in and sit and grab a quick lunch or a Coke on a hot day. There was a few tables uh, set up in there, uh, a busy little, little cafe. But also in 1961, uh, the unfortunate thing that there was a lot of segregation uh, going on in Rock Hill. Uh, and so along that counter, if you were black, you could go up to the counter and order a lunch, but it had to be to go. You weren't allowed uh, to sit down there. So on this particular day, January 31st, 1961, uh, this group of uh, college students, all freshmen at Friendship College in Rock Hill, uh, decided they were going to continue the civil rights movement with a sit-in, something called a sit-in where they were going to go and they were going to sit at the counter. They had rules for how they were going to do this, though. Uh, it was always going to be with respect, to be polite, to never uh, lash back, to sit there as they're being harassed or hit or drinks poured on them or anything. They were going to uh, peacefully uh, demonstrate. So they sat in there and they sat for a little while until the commotion uh, got so that the um, police came and handcuff them and drag them off uh, to jail. Uh, a peaceful uh, demonstration uh, that for those on the outside who, who didn't understand what they were doing, it must have looked a, a little bit like crazy, like, like this mystery of why are you, why are you doing this? Uh, when, when people are abusing you, why aren't you striking back? Why are you sitting here? Why would you go to jail? But for this Friendship Nine, as they were uh, titled, they had a mission. Uh, and on that day in Rock Hill, it actually changed the course of uh, civil rights because they began, uh, not the sit-in, that was normal, but they began uh, this strategy called jail no bail. Um, jail no bail, they had gone to jail and had been, uh, they, they had gotten bail uh, posted by uh, the civil rights movement and it cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, and so they were losing lots of money. And so this, these Friendship Nine said, we're going to go to jail. We're not going to, to post bail. And they were thinking, if we have enough people do this, then it'll actually break the system because they got to pay for, for food and housing and oversight of us that we wouldn't even take a deal. We were going to stay in jail that whole time. And, and that strategy actually worked because it broke the, the system and that jail no bail went all throughout the South and, and finally got it desegregated uh, there. Normally, uh, normally, you don't want to go to jail, at least I don't, uh, but for this Friendship Nine, the mission of what they had to, to end this segregation, to bring justice, uh, meant that for their cause, they would go to jail. Going to jail was part of their mission. It, it gave meaning to that event for them. You, you see, uh, in the same way that those men were on a, a mission that day, that gave really meaning uh, to their whole experience. Today we're going to see as we come to the book of Ephesians that your mission shapes your meaning. Your mission shapes your meaning. And you might be asking, well, what's, what's my mission? I mean, what, what, what mission do I have that I would even be willing to go to, to jail for, that it would like advance the, the cause of that? that? That seems crazy. Maybe that day you were like, would I even join this Friendship Nine? Would I have gone to jail with them? Would I be willing to peacefully engage and be harassed and be made fun of for the sake of Christ? What's my mission? 
What's your mission? Because whatever your mission is, it's going to shape the meaning of the events and what happens to you in life. Well, this, this brings us back to Ephesians 3. And, and as we go through Ephesians 3, we're going to see two sections that Paul's really uh, going to highlight. Uh, the first section, he starts off and he almost interrupts himself. He's about to pray, interrupts himself, and, and says, I want to reveal uh, the mission to you. I want you to, to see what's happening here so that you see the meaning that I'm ascribing to these events because of the mission I have, this revealed mission. And then the second part, he goes back to what he was... A, intentionally going to do at the beginning, and there's this missional prayer. So we'll see a revealed mission and a missional prayer. At the beginning of chapter 3, uh, we find out for the first time in the letter that Paul is actually in prison. He's sitting uh, handcuffed together in these uh, shackles, but Paul, as he's going through this letter, is going, hey, this is actually serving to advance the mission. This is, a, this is a good thing. The, the meaning that he has sitting in prison uh, has been shaped by the mission that he has. So he was just about to pray, and he interrupts himself and says, oh yeah, you got to see the mission to see how all this makes sense. So, so let's see this revealed mission. Uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. Let's, let's go back through that first little bit, and then we'll continue all the way down to verse 13. Paul says this, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Like he's saying, the reason I'm in jail is because of you Gentiles. We'll, we'll hear more about that in a minute. And then he just he stops. Uh, okay, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, you, you Gentiles. He, he's saying, I'm in prison here, but this is actually God's grace given to me so that I have grace to give to you. For other people, you're like, that doesn't make any sense. He continues on in verse 3. How, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has not been made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. And here it is. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's, let's stop right there. Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesian believers. Uh, Paul at one time was uh, of the tribe of Israel, a Hebrew of Hebrew, a Pharisee, five doctorates, many languages. Uh, he was outgoing and he was had authority and position and power. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees as to zeal. There was no one that could match him. And now Paul sits in jail, in prison, 
for Gentiles. Gentiles, these, these outsiders, these unclean, these people outside the promises of God, unworthy. Paul, this great, worthy man, is sitting in jail for. But his meaning of sitting in jail comes from his mission. He wants to reveal this, that the Jews and Gentiles are now one in Christ. One body, one family. We're brothers and sisters. I imagine it would be like Paul sitting down with a Gentile at that counter in Rock Hill, and the police come in and they start harassing, and Paul's like, I am right here, I am not moving. And when they go to take him and throw him in jail, Paul goes, I'm going to go to jail for them. Because I think there was this, this story, this experience that Paul had in his past that was burning in his heart. And I just want to remind you of that. It actually comes from the book of, of Acts. See, Paul was uh, converted. He was this high-ranking Jewish of, of official, lots of power, lots of influence, lots of authority. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and everything changes. After a couple of years of preparing, God sends him to the Gentiles. So this really high Jewish elite guy, knows a lot of Jewish history and customs and everything, is sent to the, to the Gentiles. And he makes these mission trips around, and he sees all these Gentiles coming to Christ. Uh, they're, they're changed. And he, and he does all these mission trips, and there's a movement happening among the Gentiles that, that Paul is able to experience and be a part of. And then he finally comes back to Jerusalem. And when he's in Jerusalem, he meets up with the guy, whose name is James, who is, was actually Jesus' half-brother, who is the head of the church in Jerusalem, who's seeing this movement happening among the Jews who are giving their life to Jesus. And so then, then you have Paul and James who meet in Jerusalem and begin talking about there is something, there is something powerful happening among the Gentiles. They've accepted Jesus. And James goes, there's something powerful happening among the Jews. They've accepted Jesus. And these two get together, and I can't believe, I can't even imagine the stories and celebrations they must have been having. But James goes, hey, but there's, there's one thing you got to clear up. So you've been gone, and there's actually been some rumors that have been going around that you're talking bad about the temple. That you're saying it's not even worth it anymore. You, 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 the people, there's rumors around, people are spreading that they don't, you don't care at all about the Jewish past. And so James asks Paul, hey, Paul. Would you do this? I think it would bring a lot of unity and healing. Would, would you go through this like purification process? It's a seven-day process. Purification along with some of your Jewish brothers and just demonstrate that, that, you're, that you're not saying all oh, this is, is worthless. And, and so Paul goes, absolutely, I'll do it. And we pick up our story in Acts 21 and verse 27. Acts 21 and verse 27. Now when the seven days were almost completed those seven days of purification that Paul and these other uh, men are going through. And the Jews from Asia, seeing him, Paul, in the temple, all of a sudden they started stirring up a whole crowd to lay hands on him. They're crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. And if you were here last week, you remember, you remember uh, looking at the temple and how there's divisions and walls where the Gentiles could go and where Israel could go and where the priests could go. He, they're saying, basically accusing him. He's bringing a Gentile into uh, the holy, sacred place. Verse 29. 
For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers, soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him, Paul, and ordered him to be bound with chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. We'll stop right there. Paul, beaten, thrown out of the temple, uh, basically because they accused him of bringing a Gentile, uh, a Greek, into the temple. This, this guy named Trophimus from uh, Ephesus, which, which didn't actually, he didn't actually do. Uh, and then they're accusing him. He's riling up everyone when actually they're the ones riling up. He's receiving uh, the beatings. And can you imagine if you were in Trophimus's shoes? Here's your friend Paul who's been beaten and thrown out and accused and put in shackles because they think that you went into the temple. Well, what would Trophimus have been thinking? I mean, I know what I would have felt. I'm like, oh, I feel horrible, Paul. I didn't. I didn't do that. I can tell them. Paul, I can, go. I can go there for you. Why are they putting you in jail for bringing me in? I should be in jail. Paul, what do you... Please, Paul, I feel horrible. And Paul writes to the Ephesians. And he actually says, no, this is God's grace. This is God's grace to me that I can give to you because I love you. You see, for Paul, his mission shaped the meaning of his situation. And he was given really two parts in the mission that he reveals to us. Let's look at those. In verse 8, here's the first part of the mission that he's uh, revealing. Uh, Verse uh, verse 8 says this, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The first mission that he's revealing is, Hey, look, my mission is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. I was given a message to bring those who are outside far in, those who are hurting and lost and confused, to bring them near to the Gentiles. I, this Jewish guy who was raised up in all the customs of Israel, who I, what do I really even know? Me, the least of these, to go to these Gentiles and preach to them the good news. And if that's his mission, then he says, so what happens to me? This has actually demonstrated the love that God has shown me, the forgiveness, the grace he's shown me, that that I'm able to sit here, that just maybe this would open the doors uh, for for Christ's love among the Gentiles. This is actually serving to, to advance my mission, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And here's the second thing he says is his mission that he wants to reveal to us. We see it in verse 9 and 10. The second thing he, he wants to reveal to us is to explain this mission to everyone. That's his, that's his mission, is to explain this mission to everyone. Verse 9 says, And to bring delight for everyone, Jew, Gentile, everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. He says, here's here's the mission God's had for me, to reveal this mission of the oneness in Christ between 
everything God created, Jew and Gentile, and how that is being displayed. His, God's cosmic, eternal, omnipotent power displayed for all the world, even those in the heavenly places, in the spiritual realm, all of it. How is God going to display his power and might and majesty to the world? And he narrows it down to this humble group of people that are going to gather together. What he's going to call the church. God's cosmic power displayed for all the universe in a humble community. He says that's God's manifold wisdom displayed. Manifold wisdom. Now, if you're a car guy, please put manifold out of your... That's not what Paul is talking about. Cars don't come around for a few years later. So it's not a manifold. And so I think that sometimes trips us up. But the word manifold in Greek is really is more like many-sided. Uh, and also the New American Standard Greek Dictionary says this. It says the manifold is really differing colors. The many-sided differing colors of God's wisdom all coming together. Picture it like the kaleidoscope, right? Different shapes and color and sizes all coming together to display the wisdom of God to our world. The diversity in the church, that we're all from different backgrounds and ages and ethnicities and wealth strategies and careers and education, all of us coming together in unity, all these differing uh, colors, these many-sided in this peace and unity, displaying the mystery of, of God. And how that displays the mystery, I think, is, is because we have groups that get together all the time, and the world calls these clubs. It's the things that we have together. We have a car club or a book club or anything we like together that brings us together. What brings the church together is just Christ, that we are one in Christ. This is something different than a club. The multi-ethnic, multi-ages, backgrounds, occupations, all loving one another because of the love poured out for us through Jesus. Which means that we give up freedoms and preferences. You might have to give up a song choice now and then. You might have to give up a little comfort. Or even what you most desire for the benefit of another. And that's what makes this diverse community of Jesus followers come together in unity is our love and our sacrifice for one another. Beautiful. But how can this ever happen? Like, really? It's difficult, if not even impossible. You know that same time that those guys were sitting at the counter in Rock Hill, South Carolina, Martin Luther King, he said, he said this. He said, the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday, which is just about what we are now, 11 o'clock hour on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours in America. And the enemy loves it. He wants to divide. He wants to bring hostility. He wants you to fight. He wants you to see the otherness of someone else and put them down. He wants you to protect yourself. He wants you to defend and lash out. Well, they're not as good as me. It's always divide, 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 divide the family of God. So how can we ever see these differing colors, this many-sided wisdom of God? And Paul's going to say, we got to pray. 
Uh, he wants us to understand this mission that we've been given, this, this diversity that is now unified in Christ. And he's going to go, but we got to pray about this. So he'll actually show them uh, four things that are going to necessarily be there if we're going to see this, this happen. So he gives them this missional prayer. Uh, it's just a beautiful prayer. It's a, it's a prayer for the church in Ephesus, but a, church for, a prayer for us as well. Look in verse uh, 14. We'll read that to the end. I want to make four uh, comments, and, and then we'll, we'll close it out. Uh, verse 14, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or, or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. If we are going to see this kind of missional church in the world, in our area, at Hollyview, Paul says these four things got to be at work. Here's the first one. We, we have to start with humble prayer before the Father. Humble prayer before the Father. He says, I bow my knee. Paul says, I don't have everything it means to display God's glory, just me. I need other people. I don't have all the answers. I come humbly before the Father, and I begin with, with prayer, speaking to the Father. Lord, we need your, we need your help. So before any movement or action or, or any uh, decisions are made, it, we should always start with this humble posture of, we need, we need God in this. Because if God's not in it, we're sunk. Humble prayer before the Father. Here's the second one. Strengthened by the Spirit. That that, that that inner gut feeling, that reaction that you have, that, that's, that's norm, part of normal sinful humanity, we need the Spirit in us to not just respond, not respond in hate or bitterness or, or revenge, that, that's, that's strengthened by the Spirit to be conformed to the image of, of Jesus, that we'd be challenged and convicted in areas that we'd, we'd quiet our mouths when we need to, that we would speak when we're told to. We'd be strengthened by the Spirit. Here's the third one. Christ dwelling in you. That Christ is actually dwelling in you. But it's not just you personally. It's in you all. So as Christ is dwelling in all of us, and we are dwelling in Christ in all of us, we have this uh, inward and outward all coming together, that we can have uh, confidence in being shaped, being grounded and rooted like a, like a tree in a garden in Christ Jesus. We're part of this bigger story, but that bigger story is working out inside of each one of us. And then finally, comprehending the mission. Paul says you have to understand the mission of this um, many-sided, differing color wisdom of God. It's not just one-sided. It's a, it's a gospel that's to reach everyone, the helpless, the unloved, the, the unlovable. The, the, the mission is that we share God's love to all the people that he has created so that they could come to redemption and know him again. And how that's going to be done. The mission of the church then is to be the light of the gospel to the world. 
both, both physical and spiritual. And that happens in a worship, worshiping community of Jesus followers that is both diverse and unified. In Christ, we don't lose who we are or what we have. We, we, we actually hopefully enhances it to bring beauty to this kaleidoscope of the church. As Christ indwells us and we dwell in him, that we would understand the mission. Uh, it's, it's, this, it's that idea of Paul and that Ephesian named Trophimus sitting at the counter together. And Paul's like, I need you. I'm right here with you. And Trophimus going, I need you, Paul. I need your encouragement. I need your, I need your words. I need your wisdom. Uh, together, displaying the beauty of what it means to be in Christ. And that, and that mission really gives meaning to what they're experiencing. You know that counter at Rock Hill in 1961? There was actually one more guy on the counter uh, that I didn't, I didn't tell you about. Uh, his name was uh, David Boone. Uh, David was a white guy, um, so he wasn't arrested. But he sat there with them and taking all the abuse uh, that those other guys took. And as they were being arrested and carried off, uh, David Boone said, and it was quoted in an article, he says, uh, I will always be by your side, I will never leave you. It was because of David Boone's faith in Jesus and what he saw as this, like really this diversity and unity and that, that we're all brothers and sisters and that message of, of reconciliation and that message of, of this manifold wisdom of God, uh, David Boone uh, em embraced. There was uh, a, a while he had to take different routes home because he was uh, being threatened. Uh, he was quoted as being the most hated white man in all of South Carolina. Uh, and as he sat on that counter, it must have been a mystery to some. How come you're doing this? But the mission what that was revealed to him in this beautiful kaleidoscope of what God was doing in the world uh, demonstrated it for, for everyone that he loved his brothers and it shaped his meaning. He looked to Jesus. So let me ask you, who is sitting at the counter next to you? Uh, who, who's sitting at the counter and you need to go up to them and go, hey, I'm right here with you? Uh, who is it that you just need to hear their, their story? And how can we as a church display this differing color, this a different career and education and background and language and uh, culture? How can we display a unity in Christ that reveals the beauty of God to the world? Well, it's Jesus followers. We've been given that mission, haven't we? To display God's wisdom to the world. So my challenge at the end is, uh, is just this. Um, if you've been trying to display God's glory to your neighbor or your friend, and you've been trying to do it alone, uh, let, me, let me just say, why don't you invite someone from the church or who is older than you or younger than you to join together in that. And through that community, actually the beauty of God's wisdom is displayed to them. Uh, it's not in, I got to do it all by myself. It's actually in the, in the corporate community of Christ followers as the body of Christ uh, with different fingers and toes and eyes and ears all coming together unified on mission. To begin with humble prayer, to be strengthened by the, the Spirit to not just do what we want to do, to be indwelt by Jesus, to be conformed more and more to look like Jesus, 
to understand the mission that he's given us, to be the light on a hill. The boring Damascus, Sandy, Gresham, that people would look at this place and go, how do they do it? And we would say, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, what an what a unfathomable understanding of how you, as God of creation, who created all, would choose to display your beauty and wisdom to the world through uh, a humble group of people who want to follow you. And Lord, would you, um, would you continue to have that mission in our mind, that it would, it would shape the meaning of what we have to go through, that, that we would put others as more important than ourselves, that we would raise others up, that we would always uh, speak uh, life and strength to those around us, that we would come together as a church and display that to our world, and that you would receive glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212, between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.